You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, this morning we're going to get into God's Word. We've got some ushers with Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, just go ahead and raise your hand. It's much more enjoyable if you can follow along with us in the Scriptures. And if you're new to the Bible and you don't really know where anything is, that's okay because there's a table of contents. Uh, You just go to the beginning pages and you'll find all the different books. And today we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, going all the way through verse 38. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, going all the way through verse 38. Once you've found your place, would you bow your heads with me and let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, what a joy to sing about the truth of your word this morning. That for a thousand generations, to their children's children's children, Lord, you are for us and not against us. We know that this is true because you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die and to be raised up from the dead so that we could share in the new life. That is with you. So Lord, would you set our hearts and our minds and our eyes in the right place this morning? Away from the busyness of the Christmas season. Away from the anticipation of a new year in 2021. And give us resolve to just rest in you right now. Would your spirit speak to us? May we have understanding of your word. And Lord, would you take me, an imperfect man... And help me to teach your perfect word rightly. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So uh, yesterday I had the privilege of going to Joshua Tree uh, with my family. How many of you have ever been to Joshua Tree National Park before? Um, Really a beautiful and unique place. Uh, Deserty but full of all these trees that are trees, but they look kind of like cactuses. And there's these amazing rock formations. If you've ever been to Disneyland and gone to Cars Land, that's what you picture when you get to Joshua Tree. That's how all the structures are. And uh, my oldest son, Uriah, he was ready for the day. He brought this big backpack. He's 10 years old. And normally in that backpack are a bunch of Pokemon cards. And I said, dude, did you bring your Pokemon cards to Joshua Tree? And he's like, no, Dad, I just got stuff. I'm like, what kind of stuff? He's like, stuff. I just got stuff. I brought stuff. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And so we spent most of the day hiking, and we've got other little kids that were in our little party that was there. And um, there was an opportunity for just me and the older boys, the 10-year-old and the 9-year-old, to go hiking. And so I asked my oldest, Uriah, I said, which rock structure do you want to climb? And he was all, that one. I'm like, yeah, of course it's that one. It's the tallest one around. And uh, we're not professional mountain climbers or rock climbers. We're just in our jersey shorts with tennis shoes, but we like to take risks. And so we start climbing this rock and we literally get to this point where we've got about a two inch ledge for our feet. 
and our chests are pressed up against the wall of this rock, and I'm looking behind me, and there's a 60-foot drop on this side, and I peer over the edge of the rock, and there's an 80-foot drop on the other side, and we get all the way to the corner of this rock. The wind's whipping at about 30 miles an hour, and there's the top right there. And it's peaked like this to where the only way for us to get up is to straddle the rock and to shimmy our way to the top with the drops on both sides. And at that moment, I'm like, man, I'm either father of the year or idiot of the year. And I looked at Uriah and I said, I think, I think it would be wise for us to go back. And his eyes are about this big and he's like, okay, dad, we should, we should go back. And as I was thinking, once we got back to the ground and we were safe, I was thinking about, man, we, we might have been able to make it. But at what cost? At what cost would I be willing as a father to take that risk, to take my 10-year-old son to get him to the top? And as I was thinking about today's message, I was thinking about how our Heavenly Father took every risk with his son for the purpose, not of getting him to the top because it was already his, glory was already his, but for bringing us who were at the very bottom in the dirt and the muck and the mire up with him to be elevated to that position. When we look at our story today, we've been going through this series called God's Christmas Grace. And we've seen in the birth of Jesus Christ that God himself left heaven and came to earth and humbled himself as a baby. And he was born in a very humble circumstance to parents that had virtually no money. In a place where nobody really cared about or heard of. And God came in the flesh for the very purpose of being with people like us. And so this morning we pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus has been born to Joseph and Mary. And we pick up on the eighth day, it says in verse 21, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. Remember, Jesus means rescuer or deliverer. That word, Yeshua. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." There's quite a bit to unpack here just in these first verses, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. But what the author is doing here, what Luke is doing, is he's taking us back to the Old Testament, and he's using the Old Testament to affirm what is taking place in the New Testament with Jesus. It was customary for Jews or the Israelites to circumcise their male children on the eighth day after they were born. Uh, We don't have it up on the screens for you this morning, but if you went to Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14, this is where circumcision began. It began with Abraham and with his son Isaac. 
And circumcision was the outward or the physical representation of what God was doing inwardly, transforming this group that he was calling to himself called the Israelites or God's people. The foreskin of the male would be removed as a symbol of our flesh being put to death and being cut off so that we could live in the eternity of who God is. Now, what amazes me is that the purpose of circumcision was to set God's people apart. Was Jesus already set apart in his divinity? You bet he was, and yet he still enters in to this circumcision. He is still circumcised, even though he is the Son of God, fully divine, a member of the Trinity. And in verse 22, we are reminded that Mary had this time of purification. Uh, in, in Jewish tradition, it was 40 days. It was 33 days for males, a little bit longer if you had a female. But it would be seven days up to his circumcision and then 33 days of purification from blood for Mary. And on the 40th day, you would present your male child in the temple basically to be dedicated to the Lord. And here, the author Luke makes it clear that Jesus' parents are Jews who follow God's word. They are not renegades. They are not rogue. They did not devise this whole thing. They are simply law-abiding Jews who are going through the process that every Jewish parent would go through. In verse 22, it says, Now in the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, and this is in Exodus chapter 13, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It was customary for every parent to pay a price to have their son redeemed in the Old Testament. It would be a sacrificial lamb or it would be two turtle doves or two pigeons if you came from a poor family. Now, isn't it interesting that these sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of what? For the forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus have any sin? No, we've covered already in this series of God's Christmas grace that he was born sinless. He did not have a sin nature because he was not conceived from Joseph's seed. Instead, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which allowed him to be born holy and without sin, spotless and blameless before God. What we notice is that even though Jesus is sinless, he is identifying with humanity. And again in verse 24, it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You can find this in Leviticus chapter 12. Again, Jesus' parents being good Jews are fulfilling the Old Testament law. But here's something that I find incredible and important. In Exodus chapter 13, what Luke is referencing here, there's this incredible phrase that says this in regards to why do you, the Jews need to buy back or redeem their male children? And when that question is asked of a, from a child to a parent, here is the response that God says to give to the child. It's so you can remember, child, 
by the strength of by strength of the hand of the Lord he brought us out of Egypt out of the house of bondage the whole purpose of this process that they're going through is so that when a child grows up and goes hey why do we sacrifice this lamb when we have another baby it's so the parent can go there was this time in Egypt when we were oppressed and in bondage and in slavery to a wicked king and by the strength of God's hand he brought us out from that bondage and brought us out of Egypt into freedom what is the picture of who Jesus is yeah very good thank you for saying that was that decker back there way to go buddy he is the lamb He is the one bringing us out of bondage and out of sin. And yet Jesus is still identifying with sinners. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Jesus associates with sinners. Jesus associates with sinners. It does not mean that he is permissive of sin. It does not mean that he is okay with sin. What it means is that he left heaven to come to earth to associate with us in his fullness. We think of Christ bearing the sins of the world on the cross, which is true. But don't think that it didn't begin when he was a baby, when he endured circumcision. When sacrifices were made even on his behalf, even though he was not sinful or did not have a sin nature, when he scraped his knee, when he got sick, when he got made fun of as a kid, he was already identifying or associating himself with sinners. Here is why that's so powerful. In Psalm 51, verses 4 and 5, it says this. This is King David speaking. And he speaks not only for himself, but for all of humanity, which includes us. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. What is the truth that this scripture teaches us? From the very beginning, we are We're sinners. And yet Jesus associates himself with sinners. Think of the gravity of this for just a moment. The eternal and perfect God in all his glory, power, and majesty. Us as sinful, wicked creatures deserving of nothing but death, right? David says, hey, your judgments against me, they're just. What is said about me, it's true. And yet, instead of us having to elevate ourselves, to try harder, to do better, to be a good person, Christ descends all the way down here to associate with sinners for the very purpose of raising us up with him. What an incredible gift we have been given. And Luke wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. These laws, these rituals that the Israelites have done for thousands of years are not purposeless. They are meant to be fulfilled and that fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. We continue in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We begin to get into this story in which Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus, this 40-day-year-old infant, to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And we start to learn about this man named Simeon. Now, what I love about this story is we really don't know that much about Simeon. We don't know his backstory. He wasn't a leader in the synagogue as far as we know. He wasn't a person with a title. He wasn't someone who played this significant role in the political leadership of Jerusalem. Simeon was just a regular guy. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here this morning, but how many of you are just regular guys? We'll get to the girls in a little bit. <laughs> Won't leave you out, Gene. He's just a regular guy. But there's something that the scripture does tell us about Simeon, which really doesn't tell us about his backstory or his profession or if he was married or not married. We don't know any of those things. But notice what scripture says about Simeon. Simeon was just and devout. Just and devout. That means he was a man of justice. He did what was right. He put others first. He would have been someone who ministered to the poor and to the needy, who took his resources and gave them for the purpose of lifting others up. It also says that he was devout. As a Jew, that means he was faithful to the laws of God. He was obedient to the scriptures. He fulfilled what was called of him from the Old Testament. We see that Simeon was expectantly awaiting the Messiah. I love the language that Luke uses here in verse 25. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a powerful phrase. It's paraklesis in the Greek. And here's what it means. We get the word console from the word consolation. Simeon was waiting for Israel to be comforted in its oppression. Oppression? What oppression was Israel facing? Well, they had been oppressed by Babylon. They had been oppressed by Syria. They had been oppressed by Persia and the Medes. Now they were being oppressed by who? Rome. By Rome. And yet, in all of those countries or all of those nations that were oppressing them, what had its largest hand of oppression on the people? It was sin. The people were oppressed and in bondage to sin. And animal sacrifice was the temporary exchange for forgiveness. And yet it never could wash away the sins of people. And so you have this man named Simeon who is expectantly waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel to come. This word can also mean Waiting for something, meaning help to draw near. Simeon was a man who spent his life waiting for who? Yeah, for the Messiah. For the Messiah. Think about this. Um, as a kid or maybe as an adult. When do you start getting excited about Christmas Day? 
For my kids, it's as soon as they know what they want in their brains and they write it down. Like my kids are organized. It's like graph paper. Here's what I would like. The 15 things. No, not a puppy. No, not a real gun. No, not a... Got to cross things off the list. But they start getting excited because there's this anticipation of nothing can stop Christmas Day from coming. It's just a matter of, am I going to get what I'm hoping for on Christmas Day? But they know that it's coming no matter what. For Simeon, as a man, and he was an old man by this point, his entire life he had been looking forward to the Messiah. Do you live in the same anticipation? Do you have the same expectation? I know for myself, I definitely do not all the time. I get caught up in the things of this world, in the busyness, in my parenting, in my marriage, in my ministry. And I can often forget about what is most important, waiting for the consolation of our salvation, waiting for the comfort to come. How many of you in some way this morning, and I'm asking for your participation on this question, how many of you in some way could use some comfort in your life? Real quick, keep your hands up if that's true of you. Look around for just a moment. That would be everybody. You can put your hands down. Thank you. The comfort in our life can't just come from more money in our bank account. It can't just come from a better relationship. It can't come from getting this or getting this. What it comes from is Jesus Christ's return, the day of salvation arriving, and us getting to live in eternity with him. Simeon was expectantly awaiting the Messiah. All he wanted for Christmas was to see the Messiah. Finally, we learn about Simeon that he was led by the Holy Spirit. He was a man led by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to make this more strange and mysterious than it simply is of he believed, he simply believed in God. Simeon believed in God and faith was manifested by obedience. Simeon simply believed in God and faith was manifested by obedience, which means this. He believed what he read in the scriptures. And because of his faith, he walked it and lived it out. Because of what he read in the scriptures, he believed, he walked it, and lived it out. How do we know that he was obedient? Well, we know he was obedient because when we get to verse 27, it says this. So he came by the Spirit, which means he was led by the Spirit, into the temple. At a specific day, at a specific time, he's an old man. He's been waiting for the Messiah his whole life. He wakes up in the morning and there's a prompting on his heart that says, Simeon, today you should go to the temple. And because Simeon was a man who simply believed God, what did he do? He obeyed. He didn't protest. I don't know what it was like that morning. Maybe his arthritis was flaring up. Maybe he didn't have breakfast yet. I don't know what it was, but he was a man led by the Spirit, and he went to the temple of God. And when the parents, meaning Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Remember, Mary and Joseph are simply there to do what the law says, also living in obedience. Simeon 
takes Jesus up in his arms and he blesses God. And we'll get to his blessing in just a moment. But I love this. What are your 2021 goals? Think to yourself for just a moment. What are your 2021 goals? Some of us may be like to not have another year like 2020. (laughs) Not get COVID. To get financially healthy. To get physically healthy. I don't know what it is, but what are your 2021 goals? Is one of your 2021 goals to see the Messiah? To see Jesus? Because if Simeon could have boiled down his goals in, you know, 30 AD, or before that, he would have said, listen, all I care about, all I want is just to see the Messiah. You see, God had given Simeon a promise that he would not die until he laid eyes on the Messiah. And here's what blows my mind about Simeon's faith and his obedience. Is he goes to the temple And he knows that the Spirit has led him. And I don't know how this works, everybody. Um, How many of you watch the Santa Claus over over the Christmas season? Anybody with Tim Allen watch the Santa Claus? You know how little kids, regardless of whether he has the beard or not, they just come up to him and they're like, Santa, I want... And they start with their list. Because kids just somehow magically know about who Santa is. In real life, this is what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. I can't explain it, but here is what I know according to God's word. Simeon knew the instant he laid eyes on this 40-day-year-old baby that that was the Messiah. That blows my mind. Israel had been awaiting the Messiah. They were expected, but who did they expect? Some conquering hero, some powerful warlord, someone to overthrow Rome and to restore Israel back to the golden days of military power and financial wealth. And yet Simeon in his faithfulness being led by the Spirit lays eyes on this infant child and immediately goes, the Messiah. What tremendous faith. What an amazing gift that Simeon had been given. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't protest. He doesn't have skepticism. He simply takes Jesus into his arms. Now let's practically play this out for a moment. Um, Whether you can go back to when you had young kids or maybe you're in here and you have young kids. You ever been in a grocery store and some random stranger wants to touch your baby? Like, oh, so cute. And you've got the stroller and you're like, thank you. And you start to pull it back a little bit. Or in this season of COVID where nobody can touch babies. Simeon walks in. And I don't know what the conversation was with Mary and Joseph. But somehow Simeon gets baby Jesus in his arms. And he's going to stop at nothing. He's an old man who's been waiting for this moment for his whole life. Not only does he see the Messiah, he holds salvation in his arms. Do you understand the gravity of what Simeon is experiencing? Because it's the same gift that Jesus gives to us. 
we don't just get to see salvation. We don't just get to hear about salvation. We get to actually experience salvation transforming our lives as Christ gives us a new heart and a new mind for the very purpose of living out our faith in Christ. Simeon is there holding Jesus in his arms. If you're writing notes down today, write this down. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. Now, Simeon physically got to see Jesus. He physically got to hold Jesus in his arms, and it's different for us. In many ways, we don't physically get to see the bodily resurrected Jesus But also in our own lives or in the lives of others, we do get to see Jesus. And Simeon is about to give this prophetic word. And just so you know, a prophetic word is simply this. It's proclaiming God's word with divine inspiration. A prophetic word is proclaiming God's word with divine inspiration. Simeon is about to speak of things that the Old Testament has already spoken of. He's actually not saying anything new, but under this divine inspiration, being a man led by the Spirit, he's applying or proclaiming God's word with divine inspiration, talking about the one that he is holding. These things back in the Old Testament, this is who it's about. And here's what I love about the Christmas story. We've said it in the weeks past and I'll say it again. The Christmas story is always focused on Jesus. Simeon's not about to make this about himself. He's not about to make it about Mary and Joseph, even though they play a significant role. It's always about the glory of Jesus. And notice what Simeon does in verse 28. It says, he took him up in his arms, meaning Jesus, And blessed God and said, the first thing that Simeon does is he blesses who? He blesses God. He blesses God above Mary and Joseph. He doesn't think of himself first. He immediately goes, oh, the gift I am receiving, the first person I need to thank is God. And he says this, Lord, now. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What an incredible word that Simeon was able to give about Jesus. Now, I want to think just for a moment. Simeon was a man led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit in such a way that he was able to give this prophetic word. But let's practically look at this in Simeon's life. What do you think this looked like during his daily life to be led by the Spirit? What was Simeon's daily life about? Well, I'm sure he had a job. I don't know how old he was at this point. He may have been retired from that work, but he probably had a job. He may have had a wife and children and grandchildren, but he would have been a member of the community. He would have been somebody's neighbor. He would have been someone's boss or someone's employee. And here's what we probably can surmise about Simeon. He was just a regular guy who was given an extraordinary gift, which was to be led by God's Spirit, which means in his obedience and faith, 
he would have served others selflessly throughout his life. I think of people here at the Mission Church. I think of Macy Underwood, works at our welcome ministry, who selflessly serves. I think of Mason Burns, who doesn't get paid and yet teaches every other week at our young adults ministry, and he selflessly serves. I think of Tony and Dale in the parking ministry, and those guys are faithful and out in the cold or in the heat. They don't get paid, and yet they selflessly serve. I think of Galen Thompson, who can rig just about anything up that we need or build whatever we ask. He doesn't get paid, and he selflessly serves. I think of Lorenzo Sonnen in the back with our media ministry, which, by the way, his birthday was on Christmas. Happy birthday, Lorenzo. He doesn't get paid, and yet he selflessly serves, and these people are examples of those that are led by God's Spirit. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is, you can be a regular guy. You can be a regular girl. And God can use you to do mighty things. Simeon didn't have a title. He wasn't important in politics or in the synagogue. And yet he utters this prophetic word in which he's holding Jesus. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Here's what happens when we see Jesus and experience his salvation. It's for Simeon, all he wanted to do with his life was to see who? To see Jesus or to see the Messiah. That's all he wanted. And now that that's happened, what does he say? I'm good. Take me home. I'm ready. Now, this is pretty interesting. What an incredible place to get to in your life. Where if you can experience the salvation of Jesus Christ, you are now ready for death. It's interesting as we continue to walk through COVID. There are people who take it uber seriously. There are people who don't take it seriously at all. And there's everywhere in between. But I want you to think for just a moment. For the general population of the world, if you get COVID, you have a 99.7% chance of surviving. Is that good or bad? That's really good. Now, this does not take away from people who get sick. This does not take away from people who have died from COVID. But the general population of the world, you have a 99.7% chance of surviving COVID. Look at how we're responding. We are terrified of death. People are literally upending economies and governments and lives because they are so terrified of death. And what does Simeon say? He says, Lord, now I am at peace and I can depart. I'm ready whenever you are. You fulfilled your promise to me, and that's enough. I trust you. What an incredible way to live out your life. And Simeon is experiencing the truthfulness and the trust that comes 
from God fulfilling his word. There's three things that Simeon says in this prophetic word that are important. And it refers to God's Christmas grace. The first one is God's Christmas grace keeps promises to Israel. God's Christmas grace keeps promises to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 46 verse 13, the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born says this, I bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. It is for the glory of Jesus and to Israel's benefit that God keeps his promises to Israel. We could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when God promises that from the seed of a woman he would bring someone to crush the head of the serpent Satan. That is being fulfilled. God's covenant to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Over and over and over again, we see that Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. God's Christmas grace keeps promises to Israel. Secondly, what Simeon tells us is that God's Christmas grace reveals Jesus to the Gentiles. Notice here in verse 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. God's Christmas grace reveals Jesus to the Gentiles. This was a tremendous fulfillment of a promise. Because before Jesus, who was the only one who the covenant was for? It was for the Jews. It was for God's chosen people who were set apart from the rest of the nations to be a light unto the world. And yet what Simeon is speaking affirms the Old Testament, but is divinely inspired to point to this child, Jesus, that he will bring a light and revelation to the Gentiles, which means our third point, God's Christmas grace cries out to all people. To who? We can say that with a little more enthusiasm this morning. To who? To all people. Not just to the Jews, but to all people. What an understanding for Simeon. Not only is he holding salvation in his arms for his people, the Jews, but for all people around the world, regardless of what nation or race or ethnicity or sex that they are. God's salvation cries out for all people. Simeon gives this prophetic word. And it says in verse 33, And Joseph and his mother, meaning Mary, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. What did they marvel at? They marveled at the glory that was being spoken about their son. Now keep in mind, Both mother and father, Mary and Joseph, both had encounters with the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel gave them insight into who Jesus was going to be. And yet over and over and over again, they will experience, specifically Mary will experience, these amazing things being said about her son that are related to the Old Testament scriptures as they come together in the fulfillment of who Jesus is as the Messiah of the Jews. You see, a real encounter with Jesus fills the soul with awe. 
A real encounter with Jesus fills the soul with awe. How many of you were able to be here during our baptisms last week? Good grief. Watching 24 people get baptized during the middle of COVID inside was a testimony of the sense of urgency that God is placing in people's hearts. The work that he is about that will not be stopped regardless of the circumstances that we face. It fills your soul with awe because that's what a real encounter with Jesus does. Simeon is having a real encounter with Jesus and he's so much in awe. He's like, oh, take me home. I'm ready to go. I'm done. I'm finished. It's over. My life can end on a high note. Let's go. What if the church lived that way? I was with, uh, with my kids on Christmas and we hadn't opened gifts yet. We don't open gifts right away on Christmas morning and there's always this anticipation in our house and I made the comment and I do it. You, sometimes you just set your kids up, right? And I said, man, it would be awesome if Jesus came back right now. And one of my kids goes, well, after we open presents. <laughs> it's understandable, right? Just speaking for all of us in many ways, but for others... Oh, when you experience pain and loss, when you need deep comfort, like Simeon, he saw death as something different, an opportunity to go home to a God that he could trust because God fulfilled his promises in Jesus the Messiah. May we live in such a way where we look forward to the return of Jesus instead of being afraid of it, We've been going through the book of Revelation on Tuesday nights. We're going to start up again in the new year. And what I often hear people say is, oh man, Revelation, Apocalypse, all that's so scary. There's definitely some scary things in there. There's no question about it. But isn't it more good news of what's to come for the believer? Isn't it more assurance about the Lamb of God who will return for the purpose of gathering his church and his people together to take us into eternity? This is good news not terrifying news. Simeon had experienced a real encounter with Jesus which filled his soul with awe. Verse 36, or excuse me, verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them. Notice the order. He blesses God first, and now he's going to bless the parents of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, which just means see, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is an intense prophetic word that Simeon is speaking. But again, it is simply the affirming or the proclaiming of God's word with divine inspiration. The first thing that Simeon says is this. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Well, what is Simeon referring to? First Peter chapter two, verse six through eight is one of these areas. Peter says this, therefore it is also contained in the scripture, behold or see, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, that him is who? It's Jesus, will by no means be put to shame. 
Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Therefore, those who believe, he is precious. This is what Simeon is saying when he says the rising of many in Israel. For those who believe, they believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Jesus is controversial. To many, he will be their rising up. He will be their resurrection. He will be the power of new life. And also to many, he will be the stumbling block, the rock of offense, those who are crushed and fall because they do not find him precious. What a powerful thing to say about Jesus. When I think of this rising or falling, I can't help but think of Peter and Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and it was to his end and his undoing, and he killed himself. Peter denied Jesus, despite his promises to his friend. And yet he was raised up and forgiven of his sins because he found Jesus precious. The two thieves on the cross at either side of Jesus when he was being crucified. One mocked him, and it was to his destruction. One humbled himself and gave his life to Christ, and it was to his resurrection in which Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is for the falling and the rising of many, and we see it happening in our world around us. And it's very interesting what Simeon then says to Mary. He says this, And for a sign which will be spoken against, meaning Jesus will have a target on his back, evil will pursue him, Satan will attack him. And do we see that play out in the New Testament? Oh, you bet it does. Jesus led a very difficult life. Not just one where he associated with sinners but one where he endured great evil and persecution and temptation and was victorious in it all. And Simeon speaks directly to Mary and says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary's just going to the temple to dedicate her 40-day-year-old baby. And this man, Simeon, takes him in his arms, gives this incredible prophecy about Jesus' glory and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then he speaks directly to Mary and he says, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul. Don't think for a moment that raising the Messiah is going to be easy. What does Simeon mean? If you've ever parented a child, or if you're currently parenting a child, how many of you have ever felt like your soul got pierced? When you discipline your kids, when you have to punish them or they miss out on a blessing, who does it hurt more, the child or the parent? I'm convinced it hurts the parent more because we don't like to withhold good things from our kids. We want to give them good things and it makes our heart ache when they don't walk in the blessings that we have prepared for them. No different than it is with God in our relationship with him. And in this case, Mary would endure 
a very difficult life of raising the Messiah in which people would mock him and mistreat him and most importantly would disbelieve in him. Yes, it would be hard for her to watch her son be crucified. Can't imagine the pain as a mother of what she watched her son endure. But even more than that, to watch people reject him as he was the giver of life would have been soul-piercing for Mary. Go back to that ledge my son and I were on. Life is hard. And the path is narrow and sometimes you feel like you just can't make it. And the beauty of what Christ did for us is that he made it all the way. And we don't have to shimmy up there ourselves. God carries us through what Christ did on the cross. And then finally, Simeon says this, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What does this mean, the thoughts of many hearts? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word looks into our souls to unpack and uncover what is truly there. And here is what it means that Jesus, who is God's word in the flesh, will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. We either crown or crucify Jesus. Jesus exposes the thoughts of our hearts. We either crown or crucify Jesus. Jesus exposes the thoughts of our hearts. And that first phrase is similar to one that Pastor Tim Keller uses from Redeemer Church. This idea of killing Jesus or crowning him. There are only two options that we have. We either bow down and allow him to be our Lord. Or we simply continue the shouts of crucify him, crucify him that went up on the cross. Those are our only two options. And this is what Jesus reveals in our hearts. He cuts through all the stuff, right? Hey, I've been going to church for 30 years, only missed three Sundays. Really doesn't mean anything. Jesus is going to cut to the heart. Have you crowned him or are you killing him? Hey, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't curse. I'm faithful to my wife. Jesus is going to cut right through the heart. Have you crowned him as your Lord and Savior? Or are you killing him with your own selfishness and standing on your own righteousness? Lord, I've I've done so many things in my life. I'm a mess. I don't deserve to be forgiven. Jesus is going to cut right to the heart. Are you crowning him in your humility? In your crying out for a savior? Simeon's blessing for both God and Mary and Joseph is something for us to take to heart. Jesus is the promise keeper of Israel. Jesus is the one who's revealed himself to us as Gentile people, as people apart from the promise. And Jesus gives salvation 
to anyone who asks for it. We'll look at this last section of scripture together. We saw that there was a man named Simeon in the temple, and now we see that there's a woman named Anna. Verse 36, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Luke is just affirming this is a Jew of Jews. She comes from a long lineage of Judaism. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So here's what we know about Anna. She got married. She was married for seven years and then her husband died. And how long has she been a widow? 84 years. 84 years of potential bitterness at her unfair circumstances. 84 years of feeling lonely in many ways. 84 years of not getting to enjoy certain things of this world that many others around her were getting to enjoy. And yet notice what is described about her. Similar to Simeon, we don't know a lot about her life, but we know enough about who she is and her faith in God. It says, she did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. As a pastor... I could say it all day long. Hey, if you've experienced loss, if you are having a hard time, if you're in difficult circumstances, just pray. And how's that going to go over? (laughs) Not well. Just believe in Jesus. Yeah, it's true, but... And yet we see it lived out in this woman, Anna. She could have been bitter. She could have lived differently. She could have pointed the finger at God. She could have accused him of unfairness, meanness, not being cared for or loved. And yet what does she do? She spends her days, 84 years without her husband, fasting and praying. Why? Because God was enough. And what does God do? He allows her to see the Messiah says in verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. I love this about Anna. It doesn't say that she gave a prophetic word. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. We're not sure. But the moment she laid eyes on Jesus, she couldn't wait to get outside the temple to do what? To share the good news. Hey, for those of you who are looking for redemption, for those of you who are broken, for those of you who need healing in their lives, for those of you who are hurting, God's promise has been fulfilled. I've seen salvation with my own eyes. The good news is real. God took a regular guy in Simeon and a regular lady in Anna and he used them to do incredible things to spread the gospel to experience what it was like to see God's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ and I believe he calls each of us to the same thing regular men regular women regular children to be filled and led by God's spirit for the very purpose of seeing God's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ That is the gift that he gives to us through his Christmas grace.
Let's pray and uh, we'll stand and worship together. Lord, thank you for your word and for how you use Simeon and Anna, these two regular people in their old age, waiting for a long time for the promise of the Messiah to come. And God, you were found faithful. And all glory was to be given to your son, Jesus. The one to whom when we encounter, our spirit is filled with awe. To the one who came to keep promises to Israel. To the one who came to reveal salvation to the Gentiles. And to the one who can answer the cry of all who ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we head into this new year, may we learn and grow from the testimony of your servants like Simeon and Anna, whose life goal was to simply see Jesus. Lord, may we do the same. I know that we all have lives to live and we have responsibilities to fulfill. And yet let us not lose sight of what is most important. To see and to experience God's salvation through Jesus Christ. May that bring peace to our lives. May it shape the lens by which we look at our life through. So that we may glorify you in all circumstances regardless of what we are facing. Lord, bless your people. Give them courage and hope that like these regular men and women you've called, you've also called them for great things to experience Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.